In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Luke 2, 1 through 14. Merry Christmas. Great to see everybody. Did you all see the tree in the lobby? Anybody see the tree in the lobby? It's very nice, isn't it? Very nice. Anybody like Christmas trees? Christmas trees? Okay, it's good. That's better than uh, the earlier service. Nobody said a word. All the Scrooges come to the 4.30 service. <laughs> we love Christmas trees in this lighthouse. We've never not having, not have a uh, Christmas tree. We always have the Christmas tree. We're excited about it, decorate it, do all that stuff. We search. We search and search and search because we want to make sure that we go to the best place. Not every place is equal. We want to go to the best place with the best trees, you know. That's what we want. So we talk to friends and we go online and we yelp it and we do all those kind of things, right? And we love the smell. We love the sensation of stepping back and looking at a wonderfully decorated piece of artwork tree. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever cut a tree down? You ever go to the cut your own for Right, yes, very exciting places. You know, we've been to Maryland to do this. Uh, Virginia, of course. We've been to West Virginia in search of the uh, perfect tree. We've been everywhere because that's just how much we're into it. One year we went to uh, Middleburg, went to a, uh, a big farm in the rolling hill. It's beautiful. It was a great day, actually. It was warm, unusually warm in the 60s, uh, which was tough because we were all in the, we were going to have the photo, right? The big photo op afterwards. We were all in the sweaters and the heavy sweaters. And we pulled into this huge farm and we looked and said, you know what? This is big. What if we have to walk a long ways? But we looked around outside the van and we realized, oh my goodness, look at all these beautiful trees all around us. Of course, we're not going to have to walk far, which is really important. We're in the sweaters and my son was on crutches. And uh, so we didn't want to have to do that. We have never walked so far in all of our lives to find the perfect tree. It's ridiculous. I bet we walked two miles that day up and down the hills. We finally found the perfect tree. It was about a mile from our van. And uh, we dragged that thing back one mile back to our van. And then we had the, the big photo op, right? So we all forced the smile on our face, right? 
<laughs> we're disheveled, we're tired, we're sweating. We're sweating because of the sweaters, right? We're all sweating. And, uh, but we're really focused and you know, kind of barking at the kids to get them to be happy for that one split second that you can get the picture. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there before? I don't think I've ever been as exhausted in my life that when the kids were babies trying to get them to smile and look at the camera for that one split second when they were six months old. But anyway, that's another story. And so, you know, finally we, we take the picture, but we're so focused on it, we don't realize that our wonderful, beloved dog, Butterscotch, has found a very large pile of something left behind by a deer and has decided to just roll, just immerse just immerse all of that fur into the what the you know what I'm saying and it's just so bad I mean it was just terrible we've never seen that dog since somewhere in Middleburg you'll find that dog somewhere (laughs) I wish that was true that's not true Uh, I allowed the dog to be in the trunk but anyway we brought the dog back so we paid for the tree and brought the tree home, set the tree up, you know. You've been through the process of setting the tree up and then you got somebody above you like straight, no left, right, and you're underneath it and you're trying to make all the adjustments. You know what I'm saying, right? And all the going back and forth and so we're twisting and turning and all this kind of stuff. Finally, finally, finally it's straight and you leave the room and you come back three hours, four hours later and then sure enough, what? Right? It's leaning over and you go to work. And here's the thing. Once I finally get the screws all the way in, like they can't go in anymore, you know what I'm saying? I resort to cardboard. Cardboard. Anybody do cardboard underneath the, the tree stand? Anybody? No, I'm the only person? Wow, you guys should try it. So uh, I'll usually start with one piece of cardboard, level the thing out on one side, and then eventually this tree was so difficult, you know, I had to go to another piece of cardboard so that the cardboard's getting thicker and thicker, right? And then I'm having to go to another side. It got so crazy, back and forth, back and forth for days with a tree leaning. I'm trying to level it out. I eventually had cardboard on every side of the stand. How is that possible? How could it lean on every direction? It was like leaning this way. So I have this cardboard. It's about that thick now finally I looked at the trunk and realized the trunk is all, it's all bent. It's all flawed. I should have taken the tree back, right? But you know what? There's no way I'm going to take that tree back at this point. You know why I'm not going to take the tree back? Because that tree and I had been through so much together. We had survived sweating and sweaters. We had survived hiking all over. We had survived crutches with my son and the stuff from the deer. We had survived all of that and days of trying to get it to stand up straight. There's no way. I would rather adjust the foundation of my house (laughs) before I'm taking that tree back. And here's the thing about the Christmas story, everybody. In the Christmas story, we see that Jesus is saying, I have chosen you. Actually, he says it, John chapter 15, he says, I choose you, flaws and all. He's looking at a group of his disciples. The amazing thing about the story of the disciples is, is if you read other you know, great stories of history, particularly if they're religious stories of history, you see the leaders, right? They're always put way up here like they're perfect and flawless and do all this. And the deal with the leaders that you find around Jesus is they're incredibly flawed. Like, The Bible goes out of its way to tell us all the problems that these guys had, like deep, deep flaws in them. And Jesus says, I choose you. And so the beautiful thing about the Christmas story is we find even though we're bent and broken and flawed and can't stand up straight, Jesus is saying, I choose you. And I will never do anything else but choose you. The story of Christmas is that God chooses bent trees and he never, ever, ever turns his back on those trees. That's how committed that God is to us. He's traveled a long way, right? He's he's traveled a long way to get to us. He's endured a lot of pain and he's paid a very, very high price 
to choose us. Um, anybody love uh, children's books? Anybody fan of children's books? You know what I have found throughout my life is I got one right here. Mama, do you love me? I have found that the best of the best of children's books, that they appeal to adults just as much as they do to kids. Anybody else find that to be true? And you know what I think? I think it is because the best of the best of children's books, there is a message in there that is so deep like it hits us so deep, it strikes a chord in us, no matter what our age is. And we say, you know what, something about that I find to be incredibly true. And this is one of the books for us in our home. Uh, we read books with our kids every night before they went to bed. And I think I've shared this before. What I didn't realize when my son went away to college, we said, what do you want to do on your last night at home? He says, I want everybody to get in the bed together and we're going to read books just like old times. And it was awesome. So if you're a parent of a young child... I'm going to tell you something that I wish somebody had told me a long time ago. Read. Take advantage of that every night with these special books that have that deep meaning. But anyway, we read this book, Mama, Do You Love Me? And it's a great, it's a great book. It starts out, you know, with this child saying to mom, Mom, you know, how much do you love me? And mom says, I love you more than a dog loves its tail. I love you more than a whale loves its spout. And then the child begins to go through all these different scenarios where things kind of, you know, turn bad. And so the child says, well, mama, what, what if I dropped a bunch of eggs like all over the house and just made this big, massive mess? And of course, what does the mom say? I still love you. And then the child says, well, what if I took some stinky, smelly salmon and I stuffed it all in your parka? Would you still love me if I did that with the salmon? Yes, I would still. What if, what if I turned into an angry polar bear, right? Would you still love me? You know, I know none of you know any angry children, but just imagine, right? Would you still love me if I was an angry polar bear? And what does mama say? I would still love you. Mama, what, would you love me if I ran away? Would you love me if I ran from you? And ran far away. And finally the mom says, you know what? Forever and for always. Forever and for always, I will love you. As I was looking at this book, I, I looked at the first, the first page of it. And I realized my wife had written something to my son who she gave this book to. And here's what she wrote. I thought it was really good. It captures the book. My dear son, Jonathan, as you leave the terrible twos, challenging me, and most you do, when you enter those difficult threes and are as naughty as can be, remember through all of the changes you go through, mommy will always love you. That strikes a deep chord in us, doesn't it? Because what we actually want and what this story talks about is, is will somebody love me even when I'm at my worst? Like, you all look great tonight. You're all dressed up, beautiful, you have smiling faces, it's Christmas, it's awesome, it's a wonderful night. But what happens when it's the reverse, right? What happens when those times when you're not at your best and you're at your worst? Is there anybody who will love you there? Who, anybody who will love you when they realize that you're bent and broken and that you have flaws? Will anybody still love you like that? And inside of us, all of us have something. All of us have something that cries out and says, is there, will there be anybody if they knew everything? If they saw me for who I really was, right, would they still love me? Or do I have to go around and kind of hide the real me so that people will accept me? And what Jesus is telling us in this story is that no matter what, he chooses us, flawed and all, 
That's the amazing thing about the Christmas story. It, Jesus says, I choose you and I would never turn my back on you because my love for you is unconditional. We've been in a series here for the past four weeks talking about a deeper, a deeper Christmas. And we've been going through these principles of how to fix broken relationships when they need to be reconciled. One of the main elements for fixing it is that you have to have an unconditional commitment to the relationship. An unconditional commitment. And that is what Christmas is about. It's Jesus' deeper love for us, a love that's hard to imagine, but that he's unconditionally committed to us and he would never, ever turn his back on us. The Bible starts with a tree. If you open the opening pages of the book of Genesis, there's a tree. If you go all the way to the end of the book, you flip all the way to the end of the book, there's a, there's a, a letter in there, right? It's a letter. It's called Revelation. It's prophecy. And in it is a tree. So the Bible starts with a tree. And the Bible ends with a tree. And right around the middle of the Bible, there is also a tree, isn't there? It's a tree. We have a Christmas tree. We have a tree. And what is that tree? The tree is the cross of Christ. And you know what that says to us? Here's what it says. If going to the cross and suffering all that pain wouldn't make Jesus Christ turn his back on you, if that wouldn't make us turn his back on you, what could you possibly do to make him turn his back on you? Because that's as bad as it gets. What this night is about is the intense, deep love that God has for all of us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ paid a high price. I never took that tree back, that bent, flawed tree. I never took it back. You know why? I'd paid too high a price, and I don't mean just money. I'd pay a really high price for that tree, and I was committed to it no matter what. Well, in a much deeper way, Jesus Christ is committed to us no matter what. And that is what the Christmas story is so much about. It's about the deep, incredible love of God. You look, you look at the main characters of the story, everybody. Just think about this. You have Mary and Joseph. You know, this poor couple who's disrespected, and now they're suspected, right? Why them? To them? You're going to come to them? Here's the way it worked. This is the way it worked. This is well-known, ancient world. This is the way it works. God comes to the people who are at the top. In other words, the people who are in the palace. Wise men. Anybody remember the wise men from the story of Jesus? Anybody here? Wise men? Okay. Some of you remember the wise men. So who did they go to see when they got to Israel? They went to see who? They went to see King Herod. That's normal operating procedure. Why? Because God is with the people at the top. He put them at the top, and that's where God is. And if you want to, have, you want to hear anything from God, you've got to go see the people in the palace because that's where God is. So they go to see King Herod, and he had no clue where God was. No clue. And where was God? The complete reverse of what everybody's expectation was. God was at the bottom. He was in a stable. He was in a feeding trough. Everything about this story is amazing. It turns its head right upside down, and nobody expected this. Nobody expected this. The shepherds, the social outcasts, nobody liked the shepherds. We talk about shepherds today like, oh, that's cool. We dress up kids in these little bathrobes, and they're the shepherds on the stage, and it's a cool thing. But nobody liked this. Nobody would even talk to the shepherds, and yet he comes to the shepherds. And how about Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? A person's genealogy back then was their resume. You want to have a good resume, don't you? Right? You want to get a job. You want to be accepted. You want to have a good resume. That was your genealogy. And so if you kind of have a few, you know, 
bad days in college and maybe you failed out of the first college you went to, right? So you don't put that on your resume. You just put where you graduated from and how well you did. You tracking with me? You all looking at me like you don't know I what I'm talking about, right? So this is what we do, right? We edit the resume. We edit the genealogy. This happens all the time because we want to put our best foot forward. And yet Jesus does something radically different. I'm reading this biography of President Lyndon Johnson, who's from the great state of Texas. Anybody from Texas here tonight? Yes. Uh, so he's talking to the military troops in 1966, you know, firing them up. And he wants to talk about the fact that he's got some military history in his own life. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's like, my great-great-grandfather fought and died at the Alamo. Right, the biggest, most important battle in Texas ever. Well, they found out his grandfather was not at the Alamo. So they confronted him. He's like, oh, come on. It was San Jacinto. Matter of fact, he fought in Jacinto, and the Jacinto battle was more important. It was the bravest people in the world, and my great-great-grandfather was the hero of that entire battle. Well, they did a little investigating. Great-great-grandfather had never stepped foot in San Jacinto. Right? He died at home. Okay? So what do we try to put up? And here we find a complete reversal in people who are so flawed that you would like want to distance yourself from Jesus. Like, he's embracing, he's including. What, what is that? Nobody expected that. Everybody, people expected God, a God of anger, a God of fire, a God of a lot of things, but nobody expected a baby. What is that saying to us tonight? That God turns everything upside down because His love is so great. Now today, now today, people talk about a God of love. Oh, I, I believe in a God of love. And what many people don't realize is we're living off the capital of Jesus Christ. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, we live off the capital of what Jesus has done. He's changed the world because 2,000 years ago, nobody believed in a God of love. They believed in a God of fire. And today we talk about a God of love like nothing. And Jesus is the one that changed all that. Did you know that? He changed all that. Nobody... Oh, I believe in a God. No one would have said that 2,000 years ago. You would have said, a God of fire? Oh, got you. A fierce God? Angry God? Yes, got it. But nobody would have said a God of love. Today we talk about a God of love. God just loves me. He loves me like I am. Can I say something about love real quick? How do we measure love? People say, well, I, you know, God doesn't need to sacrifice for me. You know, I don't need the cross. We don't need a suffering Savior. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in a suffering Savior. How do you measure love? How do you measure love? Every story I've ever heard of love, every true story or fictional story about love, great love is only measured one way, isn't it? Suffering and sacrifice. Think about it. Go through your memory branks right now. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Every great story. And so Jesus Christ, he comes no matter the suffering, no matter the pain, and the cross could not make him turn away from you what could ever make him turn away from you. He has chosen you. And the question that the Christmas story begs an answer for is this. He has chosen you. Have you chosen him? Have you chosen him? Have you allowed that love to sink deep into your heart? Some of us tonight are saying, you know what? I have to wrestle with this fact of a suffering Savior and what love really means. And I would guess that every single person in this room would say, yeah, love is, love is always measured by sacrifice. And we have to wrestle with that side. Others of us over here, we're still stuck with the angry God. The Bible says 
That's the kindness of God that leads me to salvation. And we have to wrestle with God coming to us with a love deeper than what we could ever, ever imagine and saying, well, I receive that love. Which God do you see? The Christmas story presents us with both of those sides that are so prevalent in our world today. Well, the music team's going to come, and they're going to help me sing a very special song. Actually, they're going to sing it. I'm not going to sing a word uh, because we would all leave if I did. Right? I just want to read you the opening lines because I, I found them to be so wonderful. Silent night. This is what it says. Silent night. Holy night. It's the holy one that caught my attention. Holy night. All is calm. All is bright. Why? Why is this night holy? What is so holy about this night? I read this story from the book, the kids' book. I've talked to you about Jesus Christ in a deep love. Anytime, isn't this true of you? Anytime you hear a story, maybe it's been in your family, maybe it's been in a book that you've read or a movie that you've seen, something. And you hear a story about a love that's so great and so grand and so unconditional. Doesn't that love something trigger inside of you? And you say, man, there is something like sacred about that. That's above and beyond. And it just, we have a reverence for somebody who could love that deeply. And that's what the holy night means. It's a silent night. It's a holy night because God's love is so deep. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing this song. We're going to turn our lights on. And I want to ask you to consider doing this. If you are wrestling with the fact that a God of love had to sacrifice his life for you, would you wrestle with what you really feel about how we measure love? Hey, all love is measured by sacrifice. And Christ gave the greatest sacrifice and as it says, bought us with a high price. And would you consider just wrestling with that? And if you have never received the love of Christ in your heart by accepting Christ as Savior, would you consider doing that as we sing this song? And over here, on this other side, if the picture in your mind is a God who's fierce and angry, would you think about that tonight? Nobody 2,000 years ago would have ever imagined God coming as a baby. Where all of us could wrap our arms around God and be that accessible and feel that love. Would you consider asking Christ to be your Savior as we sing this song? Well, if you'll locate your little light, Turn it on. Let's stand and sing Silent Night. Everybody, one of the most important things that we learn from the Christmas story and that God came down to this earth to save us is this. God didn't send us some like guidelines on how we could fix our problem. He didn't send us this list of things to do so we could figure it out like a manual. He had to come down here because we could not figure it out on our own and we needed to come down here and figure it out for us and to rescue us. For some of us, 2016 has been a difficult year. 
Some of us, we've been angry polar bears. Some of us, we've run from God or we've made a mess. The story of Christmas is that we're not going to figure this out. God's going to have to come down right into our hearts and figure it out for us. And what I'm asking you to consider is to say to God, you know what, I'm done trying to figure this out on my own. I need you to figure it out for me. I'm opening my heart to you and I'm accepting you as my Savior. Please figure it out for me because I can't. And I'm asking you to consider doing that tonight as we close in prayer. As I pray, right there in your seat, in your own silence before God, in your own prayer before God, just tell God, you know what? I can't figure this out without you, Jesus. I'm putting my trust in you and no longer in me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this room right now. I thank you for your love that came down at Christmas. And I thank you for your love that's coming down in this room. And how you're awakening us and opening our eyes and letting us see that your love is so deep and so intense and so unconditional. And if we will just open our hearts, it'll seep into our lives and change us. Lord, help every one of us to finally get to that point to see what the story is really all about that we can't figure it out on our own, but you love us so much that you'll figure it out for us. No matter how flawed we are or how bad 2016 was, that it is your kindness, God, that leads us towards salvation through your unconditional love, mercy, and grace. For those accepting you into their lives right now, God, may the power of your Spirit Fill every heart and life in an amazing way this evening with your Christmas love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody, it's a thrill to see you every Christmas Eve. And if you've been to any of our Christmas Eve uh, services before, you know this. It's our birthday. Grace Community Church uh, is 16 years old today. We started on Christmas Eve 2000. So... We are thrilled that you're here for that. We are 16 years old. We're getting our driver's license tonight. We're going on the move in 2017, and we hope that you'll be with us for a wild ride. We love you. Uh, for me and my family here, it's been an honor for us to be a part of this church, to serve this church for 16 years. We love you, and uh, we look forward to 2017 and all that God, God's going to do. We wish you a Merry Christmas. God bless. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.